0: after an accident minutes matter your words and actions matter even more you need help and you need it now this is david versus goliath brought to you by dolman law group accident injury lawyers a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits
1: hey i'm stan Guype. i'm here with my partner-in-law matt dolman we're here for another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast, where we talk about all things interesting within the legal community, and today we're going to talk about what's one of the newest claims we're seeing on a nationwide basis, and these are claims involving Ozempic, which is a super popular you know, drug right now, right?
2: Correct, and good morning, Stan, and good morning to our listeners. So, yeah, Ozempic is, is, is taken off over the last couple of years, originally designed for uh, individuals with type 2 diabetes to control insulin levels, glucose levels. But uh, where it's really taken off and um, it's grown exponentially over the last two, three years is based on, um, I wouldn't call it a fad. It's a mainstream off-label use for weight loss. So it's being prescribed by physicians and medical professionals for for weight loss, for obesity. And we don't know enough about this drug just yet, but what we're hearing is there's been so many adverse event reports of all sorts of issues, but namely gastroparesis, which is a, uh, it's a long word, but that, what it means is stomach paralysis. It means that the your the lining and the muscles and nerves within your intestines are so weak, they can't push along the food. Ozepic and other um, GLP-1 drugs, what their the goal is, is to slow down your digestive tract and to make you feel full and satiated for a longer period of time so you eat less, but not completely shut down the process altogether. And we're seeing a number of different reports from stomach paralysis, like I just mentioned, to intestinal blockage, And to requiring actual hospitalization or, you know, having to visit a gastroenterologist to get uh, some type of uh, ongoing medical prognosis and ongoing um, medical treatment for an issue that we did not know about, had no idea a few years ago.
1: Well, you know, and I kind of like to back up because if you think, I mean, weight gain, you know, obesity, uh, being fit, this is not a new problem, right? This, this no. has been around forever. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know about you, Matt, but one of the few things I can remember from being really young, I can remember the diets, my grandmother and my mom would get on. Cause they talk about them. Like I remember Weight Watchers, right? Weight sure. Watchers, a bit, you know, an integral part of the household. And if you look at it, right, when we're talking seventies and eighties, For the most part, and even up into the 90s and early 2000s, and we're talking weight management, weight loss, it's centered around controlling consumption. Eat less, eat different, eat healthy, right? Your side effects from going on a Weight Watchers diet and then coming off is your weight may rebound, right? You might have to eat some food you really don't like the taste of, but you're not changing the way the body works as much. You're not trying to really deal with the plumbing and things like that. As medicine has advanced, we're starting to get away from the unpleasant side of the diet because no one likes to eat. No one likes to eat that crap, okay? If diet food tasted good, we wouldn't have non-diet food because no one would eat it, okay? That's you know, it's, that's, it tastes I mean, it's, like it's crap. It's the
2: hallmark of Western nations is overconsumption of bad foods.
1: Now, that means that there's a way to eat healthy, right? But it's hard. Mm-hmm. But the, the stuff you get in these, you know, Weight Watchers frozen meals, they're crap, okay? They, they taste like crap. They might be healthy, but they you So now they are got these diets where you can continue to eat all this stuff you love. We'll just change the way the body works and the way the body deals with it to get rid of what they would call one of the least marketable sides of a diet drug.
2: Right. Well, I can speak from first hand experience. I you know when I had foot surgery, you know, my trials and tribulations, my I've had three foot surgeries in the last uh four years. And after my second, third foot surgery, I took Ozempic for a period of time. The reason being is I was gonna be living a sedentary lifestyle, I was just sitting around and I didn't want to put on weight. And whether it was a smart idea or not, we can talk about that as well. I took uh OZEBIC, also known as semaglutide, and took that for um at least four months, the first time about six, seven months, the second time. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, I didn't want to eat. The wife would make brownies for my four-year-old and I would not touch it. And I would not even look at it. I always felt full. I would eat much smaller portions. And uh, especially in the very beginning, it's, you start to level out a little bit after taking it for a while and you have to increase your dosage. Your body starts getting used to it, just like any medication or drug. But you really, it, it starts to curb your appetite and you notice it right away. And it's significant. And all it is is a little tiny prick to your stomach. It's a subcutaneous injection. It's not something that's very difficult. Anyone can do it. But the problem is what we don't know of. And that's what's the scary part of using medication, especially pres- prescription medications, for off-label uses that have not been studied.
1: Exactly. And then let's talk about Ozempic itself. If you look at Ozepic, right, you're going to see- And I want to be
2: clear before we even get started that this is not just Ozepic. It's Ozepic, Wagovi, which, by the way, are the same thing. Wagovi is just a weight loss version of Ozepic that's marketed solely for obesity or to lose weight, where Ozepic is used off-label to lose weight. And there's also Mujaro- Ozepic oh, and Wagovi, are the, their manufacturer is Novo Nordisk and that's the biggest company in Europe. They have become a humongous humongous company over the last 3 years. Their market share is incredible. Eli Lilly, which is a, obviously a huge pharmaceutical giant is the creator and manufacturer of uh, Mujaro.
1: To be clear, this isn't research Matt and I have gone out and done. We've not, you know, gone this what we're talking about are allegations, to stuff you can find in the research that's been published out there and what's slowly starting to come to light. If you look at the news on Ozempic right now, you're going to find two things. One, it's use in weight loss and people decrying it as the next miracle drug and the way it changes obesity in America. And number two, it is so expensive, right? I saw something the other day. It's so expensive, and when it's rolled out, approximately 10% of Americans would qualify for it. The cost of getting Ozempic itself, the name brand, is about $1,000 a month. The concern from the medical community is that if everyone who qualifies for Ozempic takes it, Mm -hmm. and they think a lot of people will because they can get this magical weight loss drug, right? Everyone wants to lose weight. It could essentially bankrupt the healthcare system. Sure. Because it is so expensive and so many people need it. That's one thing you're going to see. So the other thing, it's just Mm -hmm. as crazy as... As everyone's clamoring to use it, you've got the people that have been user clamoring, saying, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. This may slow stuff down just a little bit too much. Right. Let's Correct. so let's kind of go there. I mean, it's all good to slow down your digestion. It's all good to slow down your intake because hey, the less room you have inside of you, the less you can put in to fill it. Mm-hmm. But Sometimes how slow is too slow? Like what are people starting to see out there now that are using it and realizing, hey, this,
2: this may work a little too good for weight loss? Well, before I go into that, you know, just, just the theory itself is you're awake for 16 to 18 hours a day in general. Most individuals sleep between 6 – you hope to sleep between 6 and 8 hours a day. So during that 16, 18-hour cycle, the goal is to eat as little as possible. Not really, I mean, but if you're trying to lose weight, it is. And if you're full and satiated for much longer extended periods of time where instead of two and a half, three hours, you feel like your stomach is empty and you're ready to eat again, it goes to five, six hours. You're eating less meals a day and therefore less caloric uh, consumption. And you will obviously lose weight, but you also may lose muscle as well. So what what are we seeing out there, though? You know, I can speak from, I don't know, (laughs) this might be TMI. I recently had used those Epic. I got off it a while ago, but then I noticed that, that I was having a problem myself less frequent bowel movements. And I have a an appointment with a gastroenterologist on the 23rd of this month to, to find out what is going on. And I start researching this further. And by the way, I've, I've been very much involved in the Ozempic lawsuit since the inception, which is starting to take off. And I'll get into that in a minute. But a lot of my symptoms are mimicking what we're seeing out there, not on the more severe side, more moderate, but we're seeing individuals who are having all sorts of issues from uh, incontinence, not being able to actually go to the bathroom, uh, going sometimes a week To longer without a bowel movement or any type of normal bowel movement. Intestinal blockage, which by the way, there are so many reports of intestinal blockage, actually adverse event reports that were submitted to the FDA that in September of 2023, the FDA unilaterally changed a warning label on Ozempic. That now includes intestinal blockage. So there's an actual warning for that. And I would assume, again, can't predict this, but I believe based on the amount of adverse event reports that there'll be a warning label eventually added for gastroparesis, which is stomach paralysis, but then the question is how long did Novor Nordisk and um, Eli Lilly who' are the counterpart from nijaro how long did they know about this what studies did they do and what data internally are they holding on to which will only be learned about in discovery during these lawsuits that're taking off which I'll get into in a moment, but we're seeing a number of complaints from cyclical vomiting, severe vomiting to the point where individuals are having to be a uh, admitted to the hospital, to the emergency rooms.
1: Now, from my standpoint, okay, and and I am not a researcher, I don't run clinical trials, right? But this to me seems like one of the ones that should have very easily been picked up, mm-hmm. right, okay? If you're taking a drug and there's some subtle change to your body, it may take a while for people to report them, to report them in, in studies for these things to show up, okay? Constipation's pretty easy to identify, Mm -hmm. And it's not something that's delayed. Like if you're constipated, you know it, it happens quick and it's there, right? It's easy for someone to report they're experiencing constipation, right? They're experiencing vomiting. So with the number of people that are experiencing these symptoms, okay, on a nationwide rollout, and the number of cases that have come up for the FDA to unilaterally do this, you kind of wonder, how did this not cross the screen of these companies as they're looking at it? You know, this has to be one of the self-reported things people were saying when they were taking the drug. How is it only now that we're seeing all this?
2: Based, I think, on the popularity and how many more individuals are using this off-label now, where before is specifically used for type 2 diabetes. So the greater the population, the greater the universe of individuals taking this drug, the more complaints we're going to see. And when the FDA gets flooded with adverse event reports, remember, the science has to catch up in this mass tort or this lawsuit, if you want. There's not enough published data, not enough peer-reviewed empirical data that has been published uh, which is the gold standard for science in the scientific community. So what we have is just adverse event reports. We know it's a problem. There's enough people complaining of the same exact issue, having used the same exact drug and the same exact amount or similar amounts that the FDA decided to make you know, take univer- unilateral action. Having said that, I think we're going to learn a lot more, and I think the science is just a little bit behind.
1: Let me ask, and I don't know if you know the answer to this because I don't, but sure. when we're talking off-label use of Wagovi, uh, you know, Manjaro.
2: Not Wagovi. is strictly for uh, weight loss, where Ozepic is the same formula, where Ozepic, that's that's a sister of Ozepic created by the same manufacturer, Novo Nordisk. Where Ozempic is created for type 2 diabetes, it's used off-label for weight loss. Do
1: do we know, are the dosages the same? Like, are we talking it's a higher dosage for weight loss versus diabetic use? Is it the— A little bit higher, and what
2: they do is they start to bring you up. So, in the beginning, like, you'll take maybe 2.5 milligrams to 5, then eventually 7.5 and 10. They'll start weaning you on and weaning you off it as well.
1: And I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong, let's say, with off-label use. This— You'd be amazed, and I think we all know kind of the story of this, that drugs come around, and just because you find a second use for a drug and it's not the intended purpose doesn't mean it's bad, doesn't mean you you know it shouldn't no. be used for it. And I will tell you the one that I think is most common, most popular, is Viagra. Right? You remember how they found Viagra and, and what it worked for? It was originally used to treat heart patients. They were trying it on heart mm-hmm. patients, all right? And they're giving these heart patients in their 60s, 70s, and 80s this viagra right and what they're noticing is they're suddenly getting excited when the young nurses come into the room and this hadn't yeah. happened in years it's a vasodilator an sure. yeah so all of a sudden these guys are like whoa look at this uh, you know and and okay so how many people now do you know that take viagra for heart conditions None, right? The use of Viagra for heart condition is dwarfed by the use of Viagra for, you know, male ED problems. So I wonder and, if they even prescribe uh,
2: Viagra anymore for heart conditions. I, I don't know that.
1: Well, I, I don't know, but it's it's interesting because, you know, that's the use. That's the use. We all know of it. It's off-label. Doesn't mean it's bad, but nope. right now, this is new. Like, Ozempic, how long? Like, it's just two years or so. We've been really hearing about this for weight loss, right? I would have to look
2: more into when it first became, you know, yeah, last two years when we first started seeing it marketed and we started seeing clinics pop up that have very similar, not quite Ozempic, but um, semi-glutide, which is the active ingredient injections. And they're offering these all over the place. I start seeing these pop up over the last 18 months to two years. How long has Ozempic been, you know, used by physicians to treat obesity or for weight loss prescribed for such? I can't answer that question, but I would imagine it's been the last two, two and a half years.
1: That's when I started seeing it. That's when I started seeing people talk about that, started seeing it come across as sort of the numerical weight loss drug. and well, Hollywood accepted it. You know, all these actors and actors that had to get in shape quickly for their roles, started
2: utilizing it. And then you see it like in Us Weekly and People Magazine that so-and-so lost 30 pounds in three weeks to get ready for their role or four weeks using Ozempic. And then the rest of the population suddenly said, oh, huh. There's an off-label drug out there. It doesn't really cause much in the way of side effects. It's very easy to use. It's just simple injection to the belly every, you know, once a week with an insulin needle. Why shouldn't I try that? All I have to do is pinch a drop of fat and do it. It's really simple. I mean, I did it. and An idiot can do it. I mean, I could scrub a wet dream. If I'm able to do it, anyone can. But we didn't realize what the problems are.
1: Let's say people are taking Wagovi. Someone's taking using a Zempic off-label. You're expecting it to slow down your metabolism, slow down everything, Correct. Correct. How should people identify when it's become too slow, like when it becomes a problem?
2: Yeah, you know, I always say your body is your best indicia. And again, even like the Mayo Clinic, and I'm looking online at the Cleveland Clinic, there's not enough information out there about what to spot because the adverse re- event reports are all over the place of different issues. But one common theme, though, is either intestinal blockage or gastroparesis. And how you identify that is, do you normally, are you regular? Do you go to the bathroom every single day? Do you number two? Does it suddenly go down into once or twice a week? Are you pushing up pebbles where it used to be a lot more? I hate to discuss this. Maybe too, too much information for listeners, but that's the truth. You'll notice it by your regular bowel movements. You'll notice it by the pain in your stomach. Are you having severe pain in your stomach that wasn't there beforehand? Intense amounts of gas that's not moving through your intestinal tract. That is, could be a sign. Are you having, you're suddenly vomiting in excessive amounts? Have you been hospitalized as a result? Have you had to go to an urgent care clinic or have to see a physician? We'd love to hear from you. Those are individuals who have an issue, we believe, as a result of using Ozempic, Mujaro, Wagovi, or semi-glutide injections
1: general. There are people who this works so well they it actually ends up like, like stopping, not just slowing down, but there's actually been cases reported where Ozampic or Wagovi have allegedly led to literally like someone's metabolism actually stopping and and like of waste being not moving through the stomachs at all. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, just rotting in your intestines. So it's your metabolism itself doesn't necessarily stop. It's the intestinal tract and not move the food along anymore because the nerves and muscles are so weak or dead. And the scientific community believes that it causes this. But to show you the mechanism and how that actually occurs, those studies are still being, you know, undergone at the university level. I know of two studies right now that are being conducted. But until we have published peer-reviewed data, we can nec- not necessarily say what is it that causes it. We know the drug causes it. There's correlation. We believe that we're going to eventually be able to prove causation. But enough scientific data is out there, or at least published data, to show you the mechanism of why that is. There's just theories of why that is. And it's weakened nerves and weakened muscles in the intestinal tract. And yeah, that will require surgical intervention. If it gets to the point where it completely stops you, you have food literally rotting in your intestines, yeah, they have to go in there and remove it. That's a scary.
1: Aside from that, I think, you know, the the body is built, right? You take stuff in, there's certain components of whatever you eat that your body uses and breaks down and, you know, uses to sustain life, build muscle, et cetera. Then Mm -hmm. there's components of those food, which are waste components that your body typically expels. We don't need to go into the graphic details, but we all understand, right? This is waste. This is stuff your body's not using. Your body is meant to expel this. Right. So correct. When you retain waste products, I don't want to say it makes your body more toxic, but there is certainly an effect people can feel from the body retaining waste. And these are, you know, and if you want to go, there's a whole series of literature out there as it relates to a lot of people, let's say, paralysis, people on long-term hardcore painkiller use that can cause constipation and problems where it's not just the fact that the waste isn't moving, it's the fact that the waste is in their body and causing a number of different issues. But
2: before you even get to the waste, though, this actually has a cataclysmic reaction. Your body's also just not breaking down the food at all. So you're not getting the nutrients out of the food either, which causes a whole host of uh, health issues. You're basically starving yourself. You're not getting any of the benefits from the food
1: either. That's how bad it can get. When people are showing up, has this actually gotten to the point where people have had to have surgeries to repair this?
2: Correct. There have been adverse event reports of individuals needing surgical intervention.
1: Yes. And we get into a ton of different things that can cause this, but there's been a history, okay, of people mm-hmm. who have used laxatives and misuse laxatives for weight loss pr- purposes. Yes. Right? Well, mm-hmm. now you get on Ozempic, Wagovi, and people don't go to the restroom. They start relying on laxative products as well. Do the laxative products actually solve any of the things that are going on with the Ozempic or Wagovi, or do we know that?
2: I'm going to stay out of uh, areas that are outside my depth of knowledge, being honest with you. Mm-hmm. I know, yeah, anecdotally, that you're not supposed to be using laxatives for too long of an extended period of time. It can cause all sorts of other issues. I don't know the correct answer to your question. No, I wish I could. I think we, you know, in, in a future episode, probably in next several weeks, we should have a gastroenterologist that has actually studied this issue And I know a few that have been already retained by plaintiff's counsel. So I'm going to update you now on the status of the lawsuits. There's been a few lawsuits that were filed originally in uh, September and a bunch more in October. We now have about 60 of these lawsuits that have been filed in federal district courts throughout the nation. Leading the forefront of this is uh, one lawsuit was originally brought as the first lawsuit filed in the country in the Western District of Louisiana before Judge James Kane, who recently ruled against Novo Nordisk's motion to dismiss and we believe, because it's not going to be decided until January 25th, there's a motion from several plaintiff lawyers, namely Paul Pennick from Morgan and Morgan, um, and my good friend Digger Earls from Louisiana, who have uh, filed motions to consolidate all the federal lawsuits in the Western District of Louisiana, which we believe is a very favorable jurisdiction for the plaintiffs. And um, the joint panel of multi-district litigation meets on January 25th in Santa Barbara, California. And it's more likely than not that it will be one. It will be consolidated into an MDL, meaning multi-district litigation. And more likely than not, it will be consolidated before one judge, likely James Kane in the uh, Western District of Louisiana. And I expect this to be the fastest growing mass tort of all time. Faster than Lejeune.
1: I will tell you, just to throw this in there, because people that are listening to some are going to be listening, going, oh, this is kind of entertaining. Some are going to be listening, going, holy crap, this hits home. I'm dealing with this right now, and we may not go deep enough into things, but for anyone who wants to stay updated really on what's going on, the latest changes in this stuff, the great site to go to is LawsuitLegalNews.com that literally will update, keep people in the loop. So even if they're not saying, hey, I've got a claim right now, not ready to pull the trigger, get on there, watch the updates, you can see what's going on and, and kind of follow the developments of the litigation involving Ozempic and Wagovi, because these things change on a daily basis almost. you know, Motions get filed. Judges make rulings. Studies come out. Links are made. And it's amazing just how much is happening on stuff like this that we really don't see behind the scenes. And then what will happen six, seven months, once the framework's in place, you start seeing all the commercials come out. Yep. You start seeing the, have you done this? Had The Camp Lejeune stuff, all these things. I don't know that we're really in the sort of the, what I will call the fire hose of information right now. I think things are just being developed. And I would imagine four or five, six months down the road, this is going to be a much bigger topic of news oh, yeah. uh, than it is today.
2: Yeah, after January 25th, once they award the jurisdiction, it'll probably be like the first, second week of February. You'll start to see more advertising for this. By April, May, once this mass tort starts to really take off after a conference that a ton of mass tort lawyers have called Mass Torts Made Perfect happens out in Vegas, all the vendors will be pushing this to different lawyers as a new um, hot project of the moment. And uh, it basically replaces the other hot project of the last moment or the previous moment, which was uh, Camp Lejeune litigation, which if you were a Marine, you know, a member of the Marine Corps stationed at Camp Lejeune in, in, a, in, in North Carolina, at this point, you've retained counsel, I would assume. There's very few individuals out there that have not. So I think this is going to take off. Basically, just a sheer number of individuals who use OZEPIC off-label or use it as a diabetic medication. This is open to the whole universe of individuals using OZEPIC who are having this problem, not just individuals using it for weight loss. So keep that in mind. It's for diabetic patients and for those using it off-label. And if you have this issue as a result of using OZEPIC, Mujaro, Wagovi, we want to talk to you.
1: Now, you brought you mentioned something in your recent answer Uh, The attorneys, and then you mentioned the vendors. The vendors are going to be pushing this to the attorneys. So Mm -hmm. for anyone listening, I'll just kind of lay it out there. When you deal with multi-district litigation, Campbell's Union, these mass torts you see advertised on a national basis, there are essentially two vehicles you have to get your case into the court. You're going to call in response to one of these ads, and you're either going to be responding to what we call a vendor, or you're going to be responding to an attorney themselves. Mm -hmm. When you respond to an attorney themselves, you've done your research, you've looked up, you've found an attorney, you reach out, okay, you're signing up with that attorney. When you reach out to something that looks like an attorney ad, but actually ends up being a vendor, you're getting an attorney, but you don't know which attorney you're getting. The vendor is sending it out to someone who has paid that vendor to generate leads for them. Not saying it's a bad attorney, okay, you may get a very good attorney through the vendor, but you're not going to know which attorney you're getting. It's not going to have anything to do with the research you just did. It's not going to have anything to do with what you looked at. You're just getting out there, signing up with someone who's going to send your case to whomever. So if you're really you know, serious about a specific attorney or worried about the qualifications of the attorney handling the case for you, the safer route, and I tell people this, is always to sign up directly with a law firm handling these cases. Correct. That way, the one you research is the one you get. The person you see is who you're signing up with. Vendors, okay, are not attorneys; they're third-party companies that. Yeah, it's whoever's paying them. They advertise to get these cases. Like most of the Lejeune advertisements out there were vendors, and then they sell these leads one at a time to attorneys who pay them. That the guy on the ad that compelled you to call likely has nothing to do with the person who's ultimately handling your case. So. Not saying it's anything wrong with it. OK, there's a it's a necessary part of the industry. But for those of you concerned about knowing who's going to handle your case, the only way you can be 100 percent sure this is signing up with attorneys themselves as opposed to vendors.
2: 100 percent. Yeah, there's nothing I would change about what you just said. I think the vendors are nothing more than leeches. Uh, there's some good ones and bad ones. But in general, uh, most of them are bottom feeders. And it's based on what law firm's paying them this week and not based on the quality or merit of the law firm or how involved intricately the law firm is involved in the litigation. They might just be a feeder firm aggregating these case and then giving it to some other law firm. And now you're two steps removed from actually judging the quality of the firm or knowing who's handling your case. So I would 100% recommend you research your firm carefully and ask them directly, are you handling the cases? case? We are. We're handling Ozempic. We're handling also another project we're involved in is uh, Suboxone, which I recently did a podcast on that causes tooth decay. So you want to find out, is the firm actually handling the case? Are they going to pass you off to someone else? Ask about the fee percentages. And if and before, by the way, Stan mentioned uh, LawsuitLegalNews.com. That is a website that we own. It's a website that I write on, you know, write for a daily basis. So that might be the most up-to-date source of mass tort news on the internet. It's LawsuitLegalNews.com. You could also go to our site, DolmanLaw.com. Our phone numbers and contact information are on there. If you fill out a form on Lawsuit Legal News, it's our firm that's going to vet the case and look at the case, and we'll let you know if we're going to litigate the case or if we're going to pass it off to another firm, and we'll disclose that right away to you. But if you need any more information, feel free to always drop me a line. I'm always available. It's matt, M-A-T-T, at dolmanlaw.com, O L M A N L A wcom You can reach us anytime we're handling cases in all 50 states on the OZEPIC lawsuit, 727-451-6900, and you'll deal directly with us. And I really appreciate everyone listening to this podcast today.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I want to bring up, Matt mentioned a good point. We have two, essentially, websites that we have out here that deal with this. Okay, If you say, hey, I want to sign up. I don't need to read anymore. I don't need to learn anymore. I'm ready to jump. That's dolmanlaw.com. That's a direct line to our law office. You can find the pages. It's what we would call you know, a conversion site. It's meant to bring you in, give you some info, and, and let you sign up with this if you want. Lawsuit Legal News, on the other hand, is purely an information news-based site we can- But it links
2: back to us. So if you fill out a form on there, it's coming to us. It's coming to my email address.
1: It can come to us, but if you're looking to stay updated, regardless of whether or not you want to bring a claim, if you're just looking to stay updated or have a loved one that's on this that you want to see, hey, what's going on? Can I keep them up to speed? Lawsuit Legal News is your source. It's going to literally, as stuff changes, it's probably going to be more up to date than newspapers or anything else. Literally. You're
2: not going to find this information anywhere else. We're adopting this thing daily.
1: So if that's what you're looking to do, you're looking to stay up to date. There's not a better source than Lawsuit Legal News. It is published by us, but understand the point of Lawsuit Legal News isn't to bring it to our office. The point is to disseminate information. It's really just to get it out there for everybody to know, and it's, it's a great source.
2: Well, I appreciate it, Stan. Thank you very much for another episode.
1: Yeah, thank you. And if anyone needs us, they know where to find us. You mentioned the phone numbers and websites, but it's always a pleasure. And I've got a feeling there's going to be more podcasts to come on this as things start changing and ramping up and speeding up in this issue. Have a great day.
0: This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N law.com or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David versus Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big Firm Results. Small Firm Personal Attention.